You are listening to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. My name is Ryan Haley. And my name is Kyle Kempers. Whether you're at the top of your game or you're just getting started, we are here to add as much value as we possibly can to your financial education. If you want to find out more, head on over to wisdomofwealth.co. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Wisdom of Wealth podcast. This is Ryan Haley, because I know that Kyle and I sound very similar, so sometimes it's hard to tell us apart, but Kyle, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be with you as well, Ryan. It's kind of weird. I was editing this, and I, I listened to your voice for like a minute, and I was like, huh, I sound smart in this, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then I realized it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how uh, similar we sound. I can't even tell sometimes myself, so... We try to uh, give the listeners a courtesy heads up of who's talking when. So um, so we're going to talk about something this week that's really kind of queuing up another episode that we're going to be sharing next week, our first guest interview. And before, the, it's a great uh, interview that's going to be chock full of all kinds of information and knowledge that I know until recently I didn't have and probably a lot of people haven't heard of. So we kind of just wanted to... Um, you know, go over a couple things and set the groundwork because we're going to be cutting our teeth on a couple different things that a lot of people probably haven't heard of at the same time. And so last week, you and I talked, Kyle, about something called the privatized banking or infinite banking concept, bank on yourself. There's a lot of different terms for it, but using, you know, cash value from a life insurance policy as an opportunity fund, you know, for investments, business, et cetera and uh, how we can use those dollars and multitask them, right? So that was the name of the episode. Multitasking dollars, if you want to go back and check that out, um, definitely it's uh, something that takes a while to kind of really wrap your head around. I know it did for me, and um, it makes a lot of sense once you get it, but because we're going to be combining that whole concept with something else completely different, we kind of want to just take another episode, get another layer of paint, so to speak, on it, since it does take a while to really wrap your head around these things and how they work together. Yeah, I feel like in the realm of financial education that we kind of got off the diving board last week, we finally started to get into the deep end. And I know that this conversation coming up with Mark is even deeper. And so it's just going to be exciting to continue to go down a few levels, especially because from personal experience, a lot of these things are fairly nuanced in, in such a way that you can piece together information online, you can find material, you can kind of find different articles and ways to learn about it, uh, but it's difficult to understand the real practicals and how to apply this and how it fits into your specific situation financially without the help of someone specifically sitting with you. And so hopefully we can demystify these, these nuances and some of these different strategies uh, so that it becomes practical and something that you could see yourself getting into. Yeah, for sure. And so again, just to um, review and briefly summarize what we talked about last week and then kind of like, you know, dovetail that with what we're going to talk about next week. Um, again, we really encourage you guys to go back and listen if you haven't already, because that sets the groundwork. But just as a brief summary and review, we talked about the idea of like getting your money working for you in multiple places at the same time, which is something that I know every wealthy person does, especially using leverage, you know? Um, and so what we talked about last night and or last week in a nutshell was, 
using a very specially designed life insurance policy that has cash value that grows, um, you know, exponentially over time, uninterrupted, very safely, um, tax advantaged, and provides a number of different benefits, including the, you know, the actual life insurance death benefit, which is what most people are familiar with, but then, you know, really using it more so as um, a banking system, so to speak, where you can still be earning, you know, money while you're using it at the same time. And so basically you're, you're funding a life insurance policy that has a certain amount of cash value that grows. And then rather than withdrawing that money, like you would in a checking your savings account or a 401k, whatever, some kind of retirement account, um, you can borrow against it so that you're not interrupting that compounding and that money's still growing for you, but you get access to it. And so you pay usually a very low rate of interest to be able to do that, which many times it's also tax deductible. And then, so for example, like I actually funded my first real estate deal using this concept. So I had this policy that, you know, my dad had set up for me back when I was 24. I didn't much understand anything about it at the time. And, you know, honestly, my dad didn't even really know about infinite banking. Like he'd heard of it, but we never talked about that. This, this was just, you know, mainly a, a policy for me, because I was going in the military and my dad's like, hey, I don't think you're going to be, you know, insurable um, because of the high risk training you're going in for flight school. So and that was a good call on his part. But little did I know that, you know, so I just, you know, 200 bucks a month, set it and forget it. That just kind of kept accumulating starting at the age of 24. Well, you know, fast forward, I'm out of the Navy. I'm looking to get into real estate and it's uh, 13 years later. And I realized by that point when I was trying to fund a real estate deal, I had $40,000 of cash value that it accumulated in this thing. And that was a significant part of how I was able to pay for that property. And so, you know, uh, rather than withdrawing the $40,000 out of the policy, I collateralized a loan against the cash value. So it was still growing and compounding. And then I used that loan to, you know, purchase the property. So now my money's still growing, you know, tax advantage very safely in the policy, and I'm getting a much higher return in the real estate. And I was able to deduct the policy loan interest, like I said, for uh, tax purposes. And then, of course, got all the tax benefits and the appreciation and the cash flow of real estate. It was fantastic. And then when I sold the property, I had all this money. I was able to pay off the policy loan, you know, turn that into a much bigger policy, which is you know how I got involved in you know what we're doing now. Um, and it was just a great, you know, uh, experience for me that I didn't really know about on the front end. I just kind of backed into it. And now we know a lot more. And Kyle, I know you've done the same thing with, you know, real estate, buying cars. You can use this money for anything you want. Literally, it's like there's no limit to what you can do. But I think usually we're talking about it in the context of business or investing. You, you said a lot of really good things. One, The one thing I wanted to, to, to try to do was count the amount of times that you use your money in that illustration used it once to fund the account to get uninterrupted compounding interest, use it a second time as a loan to yourself to access the cash without interrupting the compounding interest, use it a third time as, as a loan to buy real estate because then it became a write-off, correct? They right. Off that, that interest on the loan that you have now to yourself that's against money, that's uninterrupted compounding on the full amount, not to <laughs> you got a death benefit. You purchased life insurance with it. So that's right. four times now. And then you repatriated the money back to yourself so that you were able to continue to recoup the funds that you had depleted, not technically depleted before, but limited what you had access to value 
Mm -hmm. And then you could replenish that amount. So, I mean, I think you named about five or six different ways that you just used your money uh, across the spectrum of taxes, compounding interest, death benefit, uh, loans, borrowing against real estate. And so I think that's really one of the beauties of the strategy is it's a very fast way to start to understand how a dollar can do two things at the same time. Right. Uh, I think when you first hear that strategy or hear something like that, it seems just impossible. You know, like how, um, and the easiest way to understand, you know, dollars being moved around in, in two places is usually like a HELOC or a home equity line of credit. Right. But this strategy really takes it to the next level. And the other thing that's important to point out is, uh, though you stumbled upon this over the span of 13 years with $40,000 in your cash value, there's ways to build these things on the front end where you can actually repatriate debt that already pre-exists. So you can access like for what I did, I had a car loan that was outstanding. And instead of just paying the car loan off, I paid into the cash value portion of the policy more than what I would have needed to borrow against and pay the car loan off. So now what I've done is replaced my loan from a bank to myself. I have the deed to the car, the ability to own and sell it. And I have the money that's now that was previously loaned to me by a bank is now loaned to myself against my policy. So yeah. it's like in the span of a few weeks, I was able to get into the strategy that you had started practicing after a few years of building. And so there's a lot of flexibility inside these products and a lot of flexibility in the strategy. Learning how to set it up is is part of the nuance of it and the complexity, but hopefully what we can do is demystify the usage of it, because as we're going to get into next week um, and dive in a little bit deeper to some of these strategies that Mark's going to bring to the table, I think it's really helpful to understand that infinite banking is part of what they do. And it's one of the things that they like to use, but it's not difficult to take and apply to your own situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it. I think the biggest thing that you just said is that the flexibility and just like it's there's no limits to what you can do and how you can fund it. And there's any number of iterations. Right. So like you use an example of, um, you know, you had a car loan already existing and rather than just use money and pay out of your checking or savings account, pay down the car loan, like, yeah, you're going to pay off debt and build equity, you know, improve cash flow, et cetera, by doing that. But once that money leaves your checking or your savings account, it's gone, right? It's not continuously still working for you in there. And so a lot of people think that they have to pay off all their debt before they can start building wealth and building equity. And you don't necessarily have to do that. You can do both at the same time. And that's the beauty of this is that it's many times it's not um, an either or it's a both and strategy. And, you know, you'll hear this kind of uh, the strategy or these, you know, products referred to as an and asset because of that. And um, I recently did the exact opposite, you know, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years after I've done everything I just talked about now that I understand this, I've got, you know, a couple of new policies that I'm doing. And I actually, uh, this is kind of wild, but just shows you one more example of like how, creative you can get with this stuff and how many like just infinite possibilities there are. But I found out about a, you know, and you use the example of a HELOC, which is like a classic example. We can go through one of those. Um, in fact, maybe before I get into the one that I'm going to do right now, it would be easy to, to do that. Most people are familiar with that. You know, I would say 
Uh, people generally understand real estate, whether or not you're, you know, personally, you've gotten involved in real estate investing, um, or you're just getting started. But like most people understand the value of using leverage to buy a property, right? You know, so people get a mortgage. Um, and then once you have a property, um, whether you used a mortgage or not, once that value increases, you can get a home equity line of credit or a cash out refinance loan to be able to extract you know, liquidity from that asset without having to sell it. And that's just another form of, you know, I guess we have to be careful because, you know, the quote unquote infinite banking concept or IBC is a trademark term by Nelson Nash, who's brilliant and kind of, he's like the godfather of this whole thing, thought it up. Um, so we want to make sure when we're using terms, we're being specific because he's using it in a very specific context of a whole life policy only, not any other type of policy with you know, a mutual carrier, et cetera, and a certain design. And that's what we do. And then there's also other versions that we've figured out since then. It's not technically infinite banking is the way Nelson Nash would refer to it, but it's still the same concept, right? And then you can even further extrapolate that to um, this whole idea of just instead of having to sell an asset or withdraw money from a bank account, you know, you can continue to let that asset compound. So in the case of real estate, you know, um, what I could have done and chose not to for certain reasons that I won't go into now because it's not really relevant was rather than sell the property, I could have held on to it if I wanted to and that you know everything else made sense. And then I could have still gotten liquidity by extracting because in my case, I ended up I used the policy loan and some cash to buy the place, you know, without a loan. It was like basically an all cash purchase other than the fact I had a loan to myself, right? But as far as the buyer was concerned, it was cash. And those policy loans are balanced against really your death benefit. And so the way it's structured is, is the contract on that loan is set in such a way that it doesn't count against your DTI. Uh, and right, it's not going to show up on a credit report if you have a, uh, well, you know, there's a couple of ways, you'd, but yeah, certainly not going to be on a credit report with the company. You know, if you take a policy loan directly from the insurance company, you can even get a third party line of credit and those usually don't show up either. So that's a good point, Kyle, that you brought up because if you're using this pretty extensively, it might have a negative impact on your financing. Otherwise, if that you know debt was showing up on your debt to income ratio. And so that's never going to be the case if you borrow directly from the carrier. Even if you get a third party lender involved, they will check your credit to get you that line of credit set up, but they're usually not going to be reporting to those agencies. So that's an important thing you just said. And some of you may not be asking this question because you're brilliant and you already know how these things work. But a lot of times you'll get asked, why would I borrow money against my own money and then be paying interest on my own money? Like I'm paying an interest charge on the loan to the whoever's giving me access to this loan against my own money. Well, these accounts have our interest bearing accounts. And so in some cases it's guaranteed in others it's not. But what was really helpful for me when I first learned about this about seven years ago was when a guy got a, a chart out and he walked us through what the difference is between a loan of 100,000 at 6% getting paid down and then an account at 100,000 that's accumulating uninterrupted compounding 6% going forward. And he just showed how a uninterrupted compounding account at 6% yields a greater return than a loan that would cost you 6%, than the cost of 6% on a loan. So even if the numbers were the same stacked against each other, which in most cases they aren't, 
Uh, most cases, that interest uh, rate on the account is greater than the cost of the loan against you. But in, even in the event, let's say that they're the same, it was really helpful for me as a young guy who was learning numbers and like how some of these things work to see that the compounding number is growing. And so that growth is greater versus the cost on a um, an account, a loan that's going down is less. And so some individuals that know a lot about loans are listening to this saying, well, it depends on the way that your loan is structured, um, but these are unstructured loans. So we're specifically referring to loans that are not amortized. They don't have a payment, uh, a required payback scale or time period. Right. So they're not paying like over 30 years and X amount to the interest and they're, they're accruing or accumulating that interest over time at a greater rate of return than your principal. This is really set up where there's no required payments back to the principal. It's just interest and it's accumulating monthly charged to you annually in the event that you take the policy loan from the carrier. So it's, in, it's important to understand that these are unstructured loans. They don't count against your DTI and that the cost of the loan uh, to you is going to be less than the interest that you accrue on the compounding yeah things on a full amount of that account so just important all that was like really yeah and it's so because we're so familiar with it i just like i'm glad you mentioned that kyle because like those are massive like multiple massive bombs you just dropped right there um and for anybody who's not familiar what's dti mean debt to income ratio well right i guess we don't have the ratio in there but your debt to income yeah so yeah you're exactly right and that's an important part of you know, uh, getting approved for a loan. So all that to say, uh, yeah, and it's on your own schedule, right? So like, um, that was such a massive, like, thing for me. So like, yeah, exactly. When people say, why would I pay interest on my own money, right? Well, it all depends. You know, uh, if the money, if the reason you're doing that is to keep an asset in place, that's earning at least the same amount if not more ideally on a net basis. And certainly when you compare, like you said, compound versus simple interest, tax-free versus tax deductible, all these other things, right? Then it totally starts to make sense. And that was what blew me away. It was like, even if uh, usually when we're doing this, we're earning, you know, just again, round numbers, we're not talking about any specific product or anything, but just for illustration purposes, generally it, it really is about, you're earning somewhere between, you know, let's just call it 5% long-term to be safe, you know? Um, and you're probably paying, you know, maybe 4% or less. You could be earning, you know, six or 4%. You could be paying, you know, it just depends. But generally you're earning a higher rate of interest than what you're paying. But the key, like you just said, and this is, this is so important, like the under, there's the magic of long-term compounding, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say that you're earning 5% in this insurance policy cash value growth and you're paying 5%. Sounds like a net wash, right? Well, not really. In fact, not at all, because earning 5% compound over your entire lifetime uninterrupted versus paying 5% simple is a huge difference over time. And then you add the fact that it's earning tax-free. And then when you're paying it, uh, you could be getting a tax deduction, like we talked about. Um, and then you've got, of course, the, the death benefit. And one thing that's also important to know, and this is where life insurance is different than anything else, is that if you never repaid the principal on that loan, like all you, all you ever did was just pay interest-only payments, um, and you weren't reducing the balance at all, um, which might make sense in certain cases, it might not, but um, 
let's just say that you borrowed, you know, a million dollars throughout your whole lifetime and never repaid it. Well, by definition, because the cash value is simply that portion of the death benefit that's available to you at the time, the death benefit will always equal or exceed the cash value. So by definition, even if you never repaid any of the policy loan, the death benefit will pay all that off and anything that's left over, which is and in most cases going to be, you know, quite a bit, that will then the remainder will go tax-free and creditor protected usually to your beneficiaries. But it's 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 a the only asset that um, by definition pays off its own debt if, if you never do throughout your lifetime. And that's important, right? So, you know, I love doing this concept with, with properties, right? Because you can do the same thing, like I was saying, with a, a HELOC, like you said, home equity line of credit, cash out refinance loan. Mm-hmm. But a, you know, a property doesn't have a death benefit, right? So um, hopefully, if you didn't ever repay that and you died, um, then the equity in the property would be more than enough to pay off the loan and, and you know, leave a little extra for your beneficiaries, your loved ones. Uh, unfortunately, in the case of, say, 2008, that wasn't always the case. You know, some people were underwater. They had uh, negative equity, right? They had the, the debt was greater than the value of the property. So that's one difference with life insurance that um, is the, you know, that's different than the other asset class that, and you can do this again, we talked about this last week, but you can do this with real estate. You can do it with, you know, securities. You can even do it with cryptocurrency. I wouldn't recommend it. It's pretty volatile, but you know, um, there's any number of ways to collateralize a loan against an existing asset. But in any of these cases, like you said, Kyle, I think the key is why would I want to pay interest on my own money? It's because of the fact that you have, by doing that, you have allowed yourself to retain an asset that is ideally compounding exponentially in value over time. And also ideally in the case of real estate or some of these things we're about to start talking about that are going to provide a meaningful cash flow, right? So you're kind of getting, you know, this is one of the few times in life where you really get to have your cake and eat it too, you know? And if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking this, that this is a lot of information, we've got a lot of content here. It is helpful. Go back and listen to the other episode that we already created. There's also a lot of great content out there by Nelson Nash. Uh, we've got some content out ourselves with some YouTube videos as well as this podcast. And so we want to continue to help educate you in this strategy. But if you hear that someone is using this, uh, using IBC to get into an investment, then the way to think about it is that they have an equal or greater amount of that same cash that is compounding uninterrupted for them while they're accessing that cash to put it into their investment. So in the event of a a syndication or someone's going into an investment strategy or someone's buying a house and they have $100,000 that they're putting down, you and they say, and they reference that they're using infinite banking for the full amount of that $100,000, then you'd know right away, okay, great. They have at least $100,000 in cash value in an account somewhere or more that's compounding for them on that full amount while they're borrowing against it in a loan to be able to make this investment. And so their money's working for them in two places. And the reason it's important is because as we move forward and talk about more of these strategies and ways to invest, we want to encourage you to do your homework and learn about how you can build these accounts for yourself and have something set up. Your cash is over here working for you, uninterrupted compounding while you're accessing it, barring against to get into your investment strategy. Um, and I think it's really important just to, on you know, before we move on to syndications, which some people might not have heard of, just it is an amazing concept, but it's absolutely critical that the policy is designed in a correct way. And, and that's one thing we see a lot of people um, really kind of get burned on is they they're 
I mean, this isn't um, a new product, right? This is using, in some cases, whole life insurance, which has been around for literally hundreds of years. Sometimes it's using um, universal life insurance, which is a relatively new product in the last couple of decades. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but the it's absolutely key that the policy, if you're going to do this specifically, now you can use an existing policy. Like mine was not set up optimized in this way, but because I was 13 years in and just because of the way it happened to work out, it, it was great. But um, I would have structured that policy much differently from the very beginning had I known about this. And that's one thing that, you know, if you want to do this and you're just starting the policy now, it's really important to work with a life insurance agent who not only knows how to structure these policies to maximize the amount of cash value that's available on day one, but that will continue to you know, maximize the growth of that cash value over time. And spoiler alert, that is going to significantly cut into their commission if uh, they do it correctly. And that's why a lot of them don't either they don't know how to do it and or they don't want to do it that way because it drastically reduces the agent commission. And, um, you know, that's why we're so passionate about sharing this is because, um, you know, I had a policy that wasn't set up for this. It happened to work. It was not with a mutual carrier and I had, it was a disaster and a nightmare dealing with this insurance company. So um, other people have had where the policy itself was designed horribly and it like blew up on them. And it was so, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, if you, if you Google this, you will find all manner of different thoughts and opinions and uh, the whole spectrum. So it is important that you know that going in and like Dave Ramsey and some other people say, you know, buy term and invest the difference. Right. And there's, if this isn't set up the right way that I would agree with them hundred percent, but if it is set up correctly, it's extremely powerful. And I think that you're, you know, uh, you're really missing out on a, a really powerful compounding and amazing benefit over time that if you only got term, you were not going to have that cash value. I'm really glad that you took a minute to say that because I have met quite a few people now who have been burned by individuals that didn't know what they were doing. And in some cases, those guys were, were great guys that had, uh, they were well-meaning individuals. They just didn't know how to build it. And recently we had a guy join the team who went through five different agents asking them to build him this style of policy. He had the set amount of cash he wanted to put into it. And he went through five guys that tried to, uh, to dissect it and figure out how to do it for him. And he just knew what the numbers were supposed to look like enough. He had done his homework on the back end to know that, okay, they don't quite have it. And he eventually found an old life insurance guy who'd been in the business for, I think he was somewhere like over 20 plus years. And the guy's like, I think I, I know what you're trying to do. And he had never done it before, but he actually built him a, a really nice policy, um, which was really impressive because the guy just knew insurance enough to do, to, to know how the mechanics work to get here. And even in those cases, half the time, uh, the guys know the mechanics of insurance. They still don't know how to build them. Um, because it gets into some nuances that you really have to, to think through before putting the product together for it to, to work the way that we need it to. Um, and I think one last thing is that it, not only do you have to know how to set up the product design, the policy design itself, but it's also critically important that you're doing that as part of a bigger picture plan and strategy in light of your specific goals, your timeline, you know, liquidity requirements, cash flow. Like there's there's a financial, like a, a comprehensive financial planning skill set and element that like goes beyond just structuring the most efficient possible policy. It's got to be a holistic picture, right? Yep. And 
That's exactly correct. <laughs> I said, and, cause I was like, oh yeah. And this, and this, uh, but I do want to get to syndications before we run out of time. I know that we're both really passionate about, uh, IBC, but, um, could you give us a flyby, give us 30,000 feet, and then maybe give us a second flyby at 10,000 feet on syndications and investor groups? Right. So this is getting into what we're going to talk about next week with our guest, Mark Livingston, who is a syndicator. And basically a syndication, if you haven't uh, heard of that term before, it is a group of investors going up together on a larger scale investment, whether that's a commercial multifamily real estate property, if it's um, you know a mobile home or self-storage unit, if it's a, um, in the case of what we're going to talk about next week, you know, an alternative energy oil and gas deal, buying machinery, whatever the asset class is or the industry, it's a group of investors that are pooling their money together in what's called a syndication so that they can kind of get economies of scale that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get individually. So like as an example, Kyle, let's say that you and I found like an amazing, you know, 300 unit apartment building and it had some great characteristics and qualities, right? And there's maybe some institutional financing and there's just a whole host of things. Well, I mean, you and I not yet, hopefully, you know, fairly soon in the future, can't afford to necessarily do that by ourselves, right? We're talking about probably, let's just say it's like a, you know, an $80 million apartment building. Well, okay, maybe we've identified the deal because we know enough about this and we can put some of our own money into it, but there's obviously no way I'm going to be able to come up with a $15 million down payment, right? For that. So you get a group of investors together and most of them are passive. They're called limited partners or LPs. And they're just giving, they're putting up their money. Um, and then the general partners or the GPs are the, or the syndicators are the ones who are, you know, going out, identifying the property, doing the actual work of putting it all together. Hopefully they're putting their own money in too, right? Because you should always be asking that question and make sure that the person whose money you're, uh, you're giving to them is, is also aligned with putting their own skin in the game. But um, you know, so that is kind of the syndication in a nutshell. And again, it could be, you know, a lot of different things. Um, but one thing that we should mention too, is that for a lot of these things, they are considered um, private placements or exempt offerings. So they're not like, it's not, you know, some people might be familiar with a real estate investment trust, right? That's a publicly traded company on the stock exchange that anybody can buy into, you know, with um, shares, just like any other kind of stocks, right? this is not usually traded publicly, right? So it's a private group of investors going up on something. Um, and it is usually because it's considered higher risk um, and higher return, they are typically going to be limited to only what are called accredited investors. And that means someone, there's a number of different things, and we'll put a link in the show notes that kind of shows you exactly what that means. But generally, it means that you have a certain minimum income and or net worth, right? So if you're single, you need to be making at least $200,000 a year for a couple of years. Um, or if you have a million dollar net worth, not including your primary residence, then you're typically considered you know, accredited. Or if you're married filing jointly, then it's 300,000, right? So there's a certain minimum income or net worth. And that's an SEC requirement to kind of protect um, people who maybe it's like, you know, your, your 75 year old grandma who loves what you're doing. She's putting her whole $10,000 life savings in. That's probably not an appropriate person or, you know, example of 
you know, these kinds of things because they're not liquid, they're not publicly traded. They um, are, they don't have the same level of uh, documented disclosures and requirements that a, a publicly traded, you know, security would. So all that to say, um, there are limitations to who can participate, but if you aren't quite there yet, um, like me, then it's still really good to know about this stuff and how it works. And I think that's, you know, does that just kind of give a brief intro to syndications, Kyle, like at the highest level? It does. It does. And uh, I really appreciate just how you were breaking it down and helping us understand the accredited versus um, just versus non accredited, as well as understanding just the safety that's involved with it and how it's private. Uh, I think one of the things that's important for those of us that aren't there yet um, that are working our way towards it or know someone that's in this this bracket already is that this strategy is one that affords you opportunity that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. And so getting getting a knowledge basis of what it looks like and learning how to utilize it in the future is helpful for those of us that aren't there yet because I think that there's a lot of learning that comes along with getting into some of these investing groups. And I would love for you to break down like, what does it look like to have an understanding that's greater than my grandma with $10,000? Because uh, <laughs> I know what you're not saying is not just that, oh, they know how to do more complicated math uh, or they know how to do a little bit more research, but there's actually an even greater understanding than that that goes into getting into some of these deals. And if you could kind of shine a light on what that looks like for those of us that are working our way towards it. Well, I think one thing is that, um, you know, besides just having um, a sophisticated understanding, right? Because there, there are ways to sometimes participate without being accredited. You can be what's called a non-accredited but sophisticated investor, right? And of course, that's a very subjective term. Um, and there are additional requirements for that. And um, in some cases, syndicators will make certain offerings available to up to 35, you know, non-accredited but sophisticated investors. But the reason these requirements exist is because A, there's these things typically are higher risk, but they also are something where like, if you're going to invest in a syndication, you kind of know from the very beginning, I'm, I'm giving up, it's usually like a hundred thousand dollar minimum too, right? So that's just going to, right off the bat, that's probably going to filter out a lot of people, right? So maybe they could go down to 50,000. It's really up to the, you know, sponsor operator or the syndicator, what their, their requirements are. But typically what you're going to see is a hundred thousand dollar minimum, if not more. And when you do this, like you go in fully knowing I'm not going to have access to this money, you know, like I can't just go like, you think, say you buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, at any point in time, you can cash out your shares pretty much. There's always a liquid market where for the most part, you know, you can get that money out. Now, you don't know what the price is going to be at any point in time, but it's not one of the, it, that's the difference with these things is that like your money's, you have to go in assuming your money is going to be locked up for usually, you know, five or 10 years, right? And you might get better, get it back sooner, but uh that's that's one thing that you have to be, which I think is good in a way because it kind of forces you to be thinking long term. Like when people, people typically are their own worst enemy when it comes to investing, and so they see the stock market go down and they sell out and lock in a loss permanently at that lower share price. Where if they would have just waited a couple of years, you know, they probably would have, you know, not only would the stock have come back up, it would have gone above what they bought it at, right? So 
this in a way, I think it actually is kind of good because it forces that discipline. But regardless, it's one of those things that you can't just get in and out of really quickly, right? So you're kind of committed for a certain number of years, right? So I don't know if that answers your question. If you were getting to the 506B, uh, non-accredited, sophisticated, is that what you're kind of getting at? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I was getting at. Um, I think there's those of us that aren't there yet, and that we may still have some capital that we want to invest. But the other thing that I found is interesting is recently I've met a few guys that are uh, con considered technically accredited, but they don't even understand what that means and don't know how to begin uh, to look into some opportunities. And so I know we're going to dive a bit deeper into that next week with, with Mark, and we're going to get into some of his strategies, which I think is going to be mind-blowing. I know it was for me when we sat down. He, uh, sure. he pulled up his presentation and just started walking through it. And I was like, okay, sweet. This is awesome. <laughs> this is uh this is what we talk about when we talk about things that are more than just real estate out there. I think real estate right. has been the shiny penny since 2019 when it when we started to see the, the rates go down and the market just go crazy and the amount of, uh, I mean, even the value in the market, I think it was like it took 20 or 30 years to get $150,000 worth of value out of a house. And I bought a home in October last year. My home is worth $150,000 more than than what I bought it for. And, yeah. you know, there's 200 grand of equity sitting in our house and it's, we haven't hit the year mark, the one year mark. So That's incredible. we're in a pretty wild time. And right. I think that real estate has become the, the, the sexy, shiny, petty, and everybody and their mom wants to be it's somehow involved in real estate, whether they're uh, trying to become an agent or they're trying to get into a deal or trying to buy or a become deal. a syndicator, right? Or I mean, become a syndicator. Yeah. Them. Or turn places into multifamily. I've got a buddy right. who's got a construction uh, business and they buy homes and then they split them into fours and they like excavate the sides of the yards down to the, add two entrances into the basement and they build basically a fourplex. Um, right. And obviously they have to do it with permitting and all this crazy stuff. There's just so many ways to leverage uh, real estate right now that that's kind of become the main thing that we talk about. But um, recently I was having a conversation with a young guy who's looking at doing some traveling and he's just trying to figure out what to do next with his cash and getting in on a syndication may be a better idea for him in the long-term investment side of things than trying to manage real estate because he's most likely going to be out of the country for a while. So, yeah. and that's a I really important thing is that people like, when you look at becoming a real estate investor, if you're buying a bunch of single family homes, if each one of them on average is cash flowing 300 bucks a month, which it doesn't sound like much, but it's, you know, if you, once you get into this, you realize there's all kinds of extra hidden costs that most people don't plan on on the front end. So, you know, depending on the situation, if you're buying a home for say uh, two or $300,000, getting 300 bucks a month of no kidding, true net cash flow. And we talked about cash flow in a previous episode. So listen to that, yeah. but um, that's not an easy task. Right. And so you think about to change your life, like how many properties, and especially that's assuming you're managing it, doing all that work, which is sometimes like, you know, you basically just bought yourself a job. minimum wage job. Right. <laughs> so how many like single family homes would you have to buy or even fourplexes or duplexes? to get a meaningful amount of passive income, like truly passive income, right? Where you're not involved, you'd have to get so many of these things. It just takes forever, right? Well, that's one thing where I was blown away by the syndications with the economies of scales. Like I've got some clients right now and I didn't even think these numbers were possible, right? I, I just kind of, I was totally skeptical when I saw this and they're making generally, you know, 20 to 30% compound um, return 
usually within three to five years, right? And literally passive, like there is other than their due diligence to understand this kind of going through all these things we're talking about now, right? They are not lifting a finger to do any of this. And money is literally just showing up in their checking accounts. And so that was a mind changing. That was just a mind blowing like thing for me. And I think that when this seems to be to me, Kyle, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, when people get to a certain level of sophistication and wealth with real estate, this seems to me to like be one of those levels that almost most people get to, especially if you want to be a passive investor where you're not a full-time real estate professional doing the work. You just want the passive income. This kind of seems like the inevitable point. And to your point, that's been an amazing ride for the last couple of years. But I do think with interest rates going up, economy that's very much shifting, the whole dynamic is changing, right? I think this is the point in time where a lot of people might be getting burned if they're getting in the market. And so being able to diversify into other types of asset classes, like we're going to talk about next week with Mark, is really important. And so that's what we're going to talk about is something that is completely different. The syndication, you know, the whole concept, everything we talked about is the same, but it, I think it's important to get meaningful diversification, um, especially in these niche yeah. spaces, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about, but we're kind of to sum the whole thing up, right? We're talking about using a life insurance policy. So whatever you're going to invest in, you can do the exact same thing. Just run it through the policy, pick up all these extra benefits we talked about. So you want to have the policy in place first, right? That's the first step because you got to have that in place to borrow from. Then what are you going to use that money to invest in, right? And then that's where the syndications come in, what we're going to talk about with Mark next week. And these things are both pretty nuanced, pretty sophisticated, not well-known. So that is kind of why we want to take this time and break it down to like, okay, just going a little bit further into what is this whole privatized banking thing using a life insurance policy? How does that work? We hit that. And then, you know, again, what is a syndication in general? And then how do those work? Who can participate? So to wrap it all up, it's borrowing from your policy, the cash value to invest in a syndication. And that's what we're really going to be talking about. And next week, we're going to focus a lot more on the syndication that Mark's doing. Um, maybe, you know, kind of recapping some of these things. But again, it's a lot to break off. So if you're hearing this for the first time and you're totally overwhelmed, like don't feel bad. Each one of these things just by themselves, like takes a long time to get. And we're kind of combining them both together. So I think, you know, that's why, and we're going to have another follow on episode after next week, when we talk with Mark to break it down yet again, and just keep relayering it. Cause that's what it took for me and everybody I know that's doing this, Kyle. And I know it's the same for you is we just had to keep layering it over and over and over. And then once you get it, you, you know, enough to start doing it. And then when you start doing it, that's where you really start to understand it at like an experiential level. And that is the goal of this podcast. This is why we're so passionate about this financial education, because when you change the way that you think about money and you start to look at finances differently, you think about the opportunities, the options that you have available to you, getting your dollars working in multiple places, then it starts to shift your mindset from this very two-dimensional climbing of the ladder and trying to get ahead especially with inflation and all of the things that we're experiencing in our economy right now, I guess, I don't know if we're technically in inflation. I think all of us can feel it, but we get out of this two-dimensional climbing of the ladder and we start to think about the three-dimensional world of finances, which is it actually has so many more dimensions than that to it. And was the more that we learn, the more that we dive deeper into understanding finances, I think it's, it's really uh, changing your worldview around how it works. And that's really the life change. And so even if you can't get into what Mark's doing, I would encourage you to stick with it. 
listen to that episode, listen to the next episode. And, and hopefully what you're finding is that we're going a little bit deeper than some of the podcasts that just stay really high level, 30,000 feet. We want to make those 30,000 foot passes, but we also want to give you some meat on the bone and something to chew on and think about and uh, continue to f- further your education outside of these podcasts. So yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, uh, you know, when I found out about these kinds of things that I just recently found out about, I'll tell you what, it lit a fire under me to get to that point, to to succeed to the point where I become yeah, a credit, exactly. right? So that I can hit those income and uh, net worth thresholds to participate. So it was not only an amazing thing to learn about, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But now I'm like, holy smokes, I have that much more motivation to get in the game and really like do as, as well as I can right now with what I have to get to the point where I qualify to be able to do these things. And so again, a lot of things going into this and um, you know, when we put in the show notes, you can go to um, you know, the wisdom of website that we have um, particularly, you know, for Kyle and I and the rest of uh, our team, we specialize in, you know, setting up these policies and we are obviously also real estate investors, business owners, a number of things, but specifically our focus is structuring these policies in a certain way to make sure that people really get the best um, situation because again, it's, it breaks our hearts when we see people that come to us where they they've just gotten raked over the coals and um, you know, it kind of, it kind of lights a fire for me to want to do um, the right thing for people and seeing that people got either taken advantage of knowingly, or they just had a, someone who didn't really know what they were doing and setting it up. And so that part is, again, really important. We can talk about that. We can help with other things and you can go to that website and book an appointment with us. But um, just like anything, real estate, like I have both made and lost as much money as anything else in the world with real estate, you know, and the difference was knowledge and having someone to help me through it. Right. And so whether it's a policy, a syndication, real estate, anything else, it can be the best or the worst thing, depending on your level of preparation, your knowledge, the person you're working with, you know, and so we would just, you know, again, like we talk about over and over, we just want to be able to present information that's helpful for people and really set them up for success. Cause we know these things have changed our lives and we're just passionate about sharing that with other people. Well said, well said, my friend. Well, thank you for joining us. We are excited to continue this conversation next week with Mark and go deep into the deep end. Here we go. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll make some 30,000, 10 foot, 10,000 foot passes, and hopefully we can get him into the weeds a little bit and, uh, and learn a lot about the syndication deals that he has on the table right now. And uh, we're excited that you are listening to Wisdom of Wealth, and we will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Hopefully what we shared was valuable, whether it encouraged you or challenged you. Our goal is to equip you to make better financial decisions. So engage with us at wisdomofwealth.co. We want to connect with you and continue the conversation. Make an appointment today. Ryan, myself, or anyone else from the Wisdom of Wealth team would love to meet with you. We look forward to talking more. And again, that's wisdomofwealth.co. See you on the next episode.